This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. I've developed later in life a love for reading, not something I used to really enjoy. I remember as a teenager having assigned books to read over the summer and just putting that off until the very last moment I could possibly put it off. I just didn't, didn't enjoy the process. Now, I, I read for relaxation. I read at night to get ready to, to fall asleep. And I, just, I just enjoy engaging in, in a great story of, of, of being enveloped by the events that transpire, of, of being surrounded by the, the setting and, and getting to know characters. And, and when, when an author develops characters... Uh, it's just it's such a, an incredible experience to to get to know them and to connect with them and to care about the people in a story. I've actually gotten to the place that my wife has done this pretty consistently, and, and it's something that has affected me. I started doing it in, in a story when I when I'm really connected with characters, and something dramatic happens in the middle of the story, uh, something something devastating, you know, explosion, some, some turn of events that, that, that removes a character from the storyline, that, that puts a character in specific danger. I find myself flipping back to the end of the book just to make sure they're okay. <laughs> Cheating a little bit, just to, just to, to know that everything's going to be okay. That the, I, I'm not going to waste hours reading through the next hundred pages just to be depressed at the end of the story. I want to know that it's going to be worth my while to, to stay invested in, in this book. Now, we, we get into our story today, uh, the series that we're in about um, the resurrection, about the events in the life of, of Jesus and his disciples and the, the people surrounding them uh, in Jerusalem and the, the villages around as they're leading toward the cross. And this is an incredible story. There, there is uh, relationships, betrayal, death, all kinds of of story events that are going to draw us in. The characters, absolutely, we care about. We're invested in this story. But we don't need to flip to the end. We know that Christ has the ultimate victory, that through his death, burial, and resurrection, he conquered sin and death and reigns victorious. The, the beauty of the story is, though, even though we know the end of the book, the story continues into our lives, providing in us anticipation and hope about the end, about eternity that comes. And we still have, have that, that excitement that engages us through the process. We're going to begin uh, in, engaging in this story uh, at a time when Jesus was, was entering into Jerusalem. It's the book of Matthew, chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. And we're going to be uh, beginning here and progressing uh, all the way through uh, the the resurrection, ascension, just a really wonderful story for us. If you have a Bible, you want to open with me, Matthew chapter 21, that's where we're starting. The words will be on the screen behind me. If you would like to use a phone or tablet and use the Version app, you just open that up and search under events for Parkview Finley. You'll find scripture and sermon notes in the Version app as well. Let's read together. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, we're going to be moving through this story, and, and we know that there are four gospel accounts that are, are describing the life of Jesus to us in Scripture. And each one of those gospel accounts is recorded from a different perspective. They're all talking about the same events, but they highlight them from a different point of view. And each one adds details, specific color to the story that helps us uh, with our understanding. It helps us develop that full setting and mindset of, of how those events transpire. And so there'll be times as we move through uh, the telling of these stories that we, we take a little bit from here and there and add those details together to get a full picture. Uh, sometimes we'll just stick with the story at hand, but it's really help, helpful for us to develop that greater clarity. So through our series, like I said, we're following the events of, of Jesus moving into Jerusalem that last time and heading toward the cross. But there are a significant number of things that happened to Jesus and his disciples once they arrived in Jerusalem. Some of them... Uh, point toward the cross. Others are a, a part of that greater story that we're not necessarily going to cover all of those. We're going we're gonna to highlight some of these significant events that are leading directly to the cross. So there's, you know, there, there are miracles, there are conversations, you know, Jesus cleansing the temple, all kinds of things that, that we won't necessarily dive into um, because we're pointing specifically toward Easter and moving our series toward our celebration on that Sunday. What we're, what we're focusing on today with this entrance into Jerusalem is Jesus and his disciples coming into the city for this last time, traveling all the way from Jericho, the city of Palms, and, and not traveling alone. They've got this huge procession of people in front of Jesus, behind Jesus, following with him this, this huge crowd of people. And as we move through the, the unfolding of events that, that take place as Jesus moved with them into the city, we're going to understand that these events are all part of a greater chain of events. That the, the, the history recorded in Scripture, from, even from Genesis, is an, un, an unfolding of the story of God's redemptive work. Uh, all of those events pointing to his bringing about the Messiah. And, and in the pages of Old Testament, we have prophecy about the Messiah. We have uh, predictions foretelling about how God is going to bring about this redemptive work. In the beginning of the Gospels, through the life of Jesus, we learn more about who he is and how he is the fulfillment of God's redemptive work. And now as we're coming to closer to the end of the Gospels, we see this story completely fulfilled. As we walk through, recognizing that there's a greater story at work, we're going we're gonna to pull on some threads of, of information, of meaning, uh, that, that we need to understand in order to, to fully grasp what's taking place. One of those threads that we're going to cover later in our series, but we, we just need to be aware of today is this, the, the tension that existed between Jesus and the religious leaders of the Jewish faith. This tension that was present throughout his life leading up to these days, but that had grown to a point of very specific conflict. Now, as Jesus uh, initiated his ministry with his disciples, that, that very intensive three years, uh, his popularity grew with the people surrounding Jerusalem throughout uh, the, the area in the, in the places where Jesus 
worked, where he ministered with people, as his popularity with the crowd grew, the, the religious leaders, their hatred for Jesus grew. As he performed miracles and, and validated his identity as the Son of God, they continued to get angrier and angrier, even to the point of wanting to take his life to, to keep him from pulling the Israelites away from their traditional faith uh, of Judaism and, and aligning with Christ as Lord and Savior and, and being pulled away from what the religious leaders believed as the true belief in God. And so they were waiting for the right time, the right place, the right events, and the right people to be present to take the life of Jesus in a way that wouldn't turn the crowd of, of Israelites against them. And what they didn't count on was that Jesus, as God in the flesh, was aware of their intentions, knew about the unfolding of events around him, especially in the lives of the people that they were working so we need to be aware of, of all of that taking place in the background as Jesus came into Jerusalem, this place where the religious leaders were headquartered, where, where things would come to a head in the unfolding of our story. Now, we have Jesus moving with this procession of people into Jerusalem. And as, as they got ready to enter in, he sent his disciples to this, this small town, Bethany and Bethphage. They're right next to each other. And, and Jesus sent his disciples in to find a donkey a young donkey with its mother, and to just untie those donkeys and take them so that he could ride them into Jerusalem. And he said to his disciples, don't worry. If somebody confronts you, if, some, if the owner of the donkey says, whoa, 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 why, why are you doing this? Just say, the Lord needs them, or the master needs them. And, and they'll understand, and they'll say, oh, yeah, absolutely, take them and go. Now, Mark and Luke, they tell us about that confrontation. As the disciples go in town, they find the donkeys, they untie them. So I says, hey, whoa, those are my donkeys, what do you think you're doing? And the, the disciples say, well, these are for the Lord. Oh, okay. There, and, and there's just this moment of acceptance of what's taking place. The, this moment of, of alignment with, with the unfolding of, of events that have already been prepared, working toward the Jesus, moving in and fulfilling what needs to be done. So as they entered the city and the crowds converged, Jesus was honored as king. The processional that, that followed him was a processional fit for a king. Now, not because it was full of splendor and glory, not because Jesus was riding on a steed full, dressed in full armor with a sword at his side, with armed guards going in front and behind, not as, as a king full of splendor and power and glory. Jesus was coming as king and Messiah robed in humility, riding on the back of a donkey, fulfilling prophecy, working toward the fulfillment of, of God's redemption for his people. And this is another one of those threads that we recognize unfolding through the story that the people of Israel had known throughout their whole lives that God was going to bring about redemption through his Messiah. And the people of Israel remembered the stories of old. Uh, of, of the glory of their people under the rule of King David, of the, the wealth, of the power, of the might, of the fear that existed among the other nations around them, of the splendor. And they remembered also David's son Solomon, who was king after that, full of wisdom, who provided for the people of Israel wealth that they had never known before, wealth unlike any other nation in the world, renowned, they were respected in a way. And the people of Israel believed that the Messiah would come as a conquering king to restore them to that place in the world that would overthrow the power of the Romans, that would, that would deliver Israel into this place of prominence and power and wealth again. But there's a tension between what they believe, the Israelites believe the Messiah would be and who Jesus truly was as the Messiah. A, a 
the Son of God who came to lay down his life to bring about redemption and forgiveness for all of mankind. The Son of God who came in humility to serve the will of God, to lay down his life, to be an example to us about how we should live our lives in relationship with him. And there's this this strange tension between their expectations and who Jesus truly was that are fulfilled in this moment of entrance, this processional into the city. And the reason that this processional was fit for a king is because of the way the people chose to honor Jesus. Not, not lavishing him with, with wealth and splendor, but honoring him as a king, that the disciples took off their very cloaks and laid them over the backs of the donkeys so the Jews could sit, not coming in contact with those animals, that people in the crowd followed their example. They took off their cloaks and laid them out in the road, covering the dirt and the grime and the dust. They cut branches from the trees and filled in the gaps, creating this red carpet moment for Jesus to enter into Jerusalem that he was honored by sitting on the cloaks of others, that even the donkey, as it plodded on into the city, wouldn't be treading on the dirt and grime of the road, but would, be, would demonstrate the honor that people held Jesus, the holiness of this, this young donkey that had never been ridden, moving into the city. And not only did they physically demonstrate this honor for Jesus as king, vocally, they praised him. Here's what they said. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And even in their praise of Jesus, we're reminded of what the angels said when Jesus was born. You think back to that moment in Bethlehem when the angels appeared in this shining light to shepherds in the fields nearby. And they said, Jesus is born. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. The people in the crowd are proclaiming Jesus is king, saying, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Those words reflect the same image of Christ sent by God to become redemption for all people. So we come to the end of this this entrance uh, of Jesus, this this wonderful moment of splendor, and, and the Gospels contain a great many details that we are going to move past so that we can experience a moment of celebration between Jesus and the disciples, often referred to as the the Last Supper. Truly, it is a celebration between Christ and his disciples of the Passover meal together. Matthew 26, beginning of verse 17, we read these words. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were all very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. 
This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, much like uh, the, the story of Jesus entering into Jerusalem, having donkeys prepared for his use and people just ready to serve, there is now a room available at the home of some unknown individual who is already, who is already aware that Jesus is coming and who is ready to have him celebrate the Passover with his disciples at their house. There's an upper room available. They go and they celebrate this meal together. And Jesus spoke to the group of disciples so that he could address Judas. And there's this scene of, of Jesus with his disciples reclining uh, on these cushions that are laid out in a U-shape around a table all of them laying down, and there's platters on the table, there's bread to be torn apart and, and eaten, bread that hasn't risen uh, according to the, the celebration, bowls of delicious things to dip the, the bread in. And in my mind, I see this, this confrontation unfold as Jesus is talking with his disciples, taking the bread, dipping it, and, and just very casually in the course of that conversation saying, by, by the way, I need to let you know that one of you is going to betray me as he's eating and talking, and Judas on the other side is, you know, laying on, on the cushion and, and eating and dipping his bread. And as Jesus says, and, and by the way, the one of you that's going to betray me also has his hand in the bowl with me. And I, in my mind, I see this this cookie jar moment where Judas is caught like a kid climbing up on the counter to get something he knows he shouldn't have before dinner. Uh, surely you don't mean me, do you? And Judas knows that he has been found out. He knows that what he's been trying to keep secret, the Lord already knows. Now think about the situation. Judas has been planning this moment. And we read other parts of the Gospels. When we get to, to the, the Garden of Gethsemane, when Judas brings the, the chief priests and the, the guards to arrest Jesus and identifies Jesus as the one that they want to take and betrays Jesus officially to be taken into captivity. We're going we're gonna to read through the events that, that transpired, the, the full measure of conspiracy as Judas was plotting with, with these other men. He's been doing all this behind the scenes, away from the sight, away from the awareness of the rest of the disciples. He doesn't want them to know what he is about to do. He doesn't want them to know the treachery in his heart, the temptation, the sin that's present. He has been hiding all of it and doing a good job of keeping the rest of the disciples away from his plans to betray Jesus. However, he could not conceal that temptation and sin from Christ. And in this moment, he was found out. Notice how Jesus confronted Judas. First, by making him aware that the sin was present and about to be committed. One of you is about to betray me. And Judas, like the rest of, of the disciples, was confronted with the ugliness of this thing that was about to happen. The, the, this horrible betrayal, this breaking of relationship. And then he addressed Judas personally. Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Yes, and Jesus had to look in the face of Jesus, the man who he had called master, the man who he had lived with for three years, the man who he, he was learning from and growing together with, he was about to betray. And we recognize the, the same process in our own lives when, when temptation and sin are present. And the way that we're confronted in those moments, 
with the reality of what's about to take place, these moments where we have a decision to make about whether or not we're going to allow that temptation to affect us and to indulge in sin. We're, we're confronted with the ugliness of sin, with, with the reality of what it will mean for us to turn our backs on the Lord so that we can indulge, to, to, to engage in this, this disgusting behavior that, that represents sin. And we're confronted with the shock of how separate that is from the life that we're supposed to be living in the Lord, from the, the health of, of the relationships we have with one another and with him. And, and the stark difference of what that sin represents in our lives, we're confronted with, with that ugliness. We're confronted with the image of Christ who sacrificed so much to bring about our forgiveness, to, to redeem us and bring us into relationship with him. And that temptation presents an opportunity for us to turn away from the Lord so that we can, we can indulge in this sin. And not only do we recognize its ugliness, we recognize the, the, the betrayal of Christ, uh, the, the turning our backs on, on his sacrifice and choosing this thing over him. And we're also aware of those two things, but also the, the consequences that will come about if we choose to be affected by that temptation and to indulge in sin. The, and we imagine, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen if I were to, to, to choose to do this thing? And we play that, that, that series of consequences out in our minds. We recognize the, the pain that we're going to cause, the people we care about, the breaking of relationships that will come about because of our sin. We realize the, the, the turmoil that will be present in our lives through this indulgence. And we, we see all these things that confront us in those moments of temptation. And there are opportunities for us to turn our back on sin and, and, and remain faithful to the Lord. Moments much like Judas had here at the Last Supper as Christ identified to him what was about to happen. And he was confronted with the ugliness of his sin, confronted with the, the pain of what would take place in his relationship with the Lord, looking him right in the eyes. And Judas ignored those things as he continued to plot to betray Jesus. We recognize this isn't, this isn't a, a, an impulsive decision for Judas. This isn't something that just came up and he went, oh, yeah, let me, why not? No, this is, this is calculated. This is cold. This is premeditated betrayal of Jesus, handing him over to the chief priests so that he can gain financially. And all of it reminds us of the pain that is present as these events unfold. And yet, even the betrayal of Judas is a part of prophecy that is being fulfilled. The series of events that take place that point Christ to the cross. The Gospel of John tells us that after this moment of recognition, Judas flees from the scene. He runs away from Jesus and disciples, and they continue on. Matthew, Mark, and Luke simply say, you know, after Judas was aware, Jesus turned the attention of the disciples back to the celebration of the Passover and, and rec then turned them to, make, to the awareness of what his sacrifice would be. Now, as, as they were celebrating the Passover meal, we need to be aware of the fact that they were celebrating God's deliverance. Now, modern Christians today, we don't, we don't have this as part of our routine, as part of our celebration, as part of our praise for the Lord. But the Passover meal for the Israelites was a celebration of God's deliverance. As they ate together, they were remembering God's deliverance of their people from Egypt. 
they were remembering the plagues that took place and how the, the angel of death passed over their homes. That's where the name for Passover comes from. They're remembering how God was at work in them as a people to bring them into the land of promise, to deliver them out of Egypt to that place where they were going. And they would celebrate the, the meal, the, the food and the drink, and they would use this format from Exodus chapter 6 in the celebration of the Passover. Here's what it says. Uh, the Lord said to the Israelites, Say to them, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And with mighty acts of judgment, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. And they're all reminded of the deliverance of God as they celebrate the Passover. Jesus took that celebration. He took, he took the bread and the cup from what they were already using there as they celebrated and turned the attention of the disciples not only to God's deliverance in the past, but how God was going to deliver his people in the future as he laid down his life, as he sacrificed it to bring about the forgiveness of sins for mankind. And he demonstrated to them the significance of what was about to happen. That the body that, of Christ that was broken on the cross was represented by the bread, and that the cup represented his blood that would pour it out for the forgiveness of sins. That his death on the cross, his sacrifice there wasn't senseless death. It had a purpose. And as he demonstrated these elements of celebration to the disciples that we would continue to this day, Jesus identified himself as Savior. Identified himself as the one that would lay down his life to bring about forgiveness of sins. Fulfilling everything that had been spoken of throughout Scripture about God's deliverance through his Messiah. Now, Jesus had been preparing his disciples for what was coming. He had been talking to them as they traveled, as they, as they ministered to other people, as miracles were being performed. Occasionally, he would stop and say, by the way, I want to let you know, I'm not going to be with you forever. I'm, I'm going to die. When we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to lay down my life. I'll be flogged and beaten and crucified, buried in a tomb, but I will rise again. Three days later, he was providing for them instructions and hope. But the disciples weren't ready for Jesus to die. They weren't ready for this moment that was coming. Even though they knew it was what needed to happen in order for God to bring about redemption for mankind, they simply weren't yet at a place where they were comfortable saying goodbye to the Lord. We, we know what that feels like. An unexpected death in the family and we're confronted with the pain of, of loss, of family who's gathered together and one of that family is moving away for a job or to college. or We come to those moments of saying goodbye, and it's a painful experience to know that we're going to be separated for a while, to know that even though we'll see each other again, we still have to experience that loss, that separation. And the disciples weren't quite ready for Jesus to lay down his life, but he was careful to instruct them through this demonstration of the significance of his sacrifice, uh, of the purpose of what was about to transpire. The story continues in verse 31 of, of Matthew chapter 26. And, and after describing to them how they could remember his sacrifice, uh, here's where it starts in 31. Jesus told them then, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, 
Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. And once again, Jesus took an opportunity to, to speak to his disciples, to, to, to help them understand the weight of events that were coming, the, the denial that was going to take place, the, the fact that they would all scatter, that they would flee from the terror of the events that would transpire to save themselves, to, hide, to go into hiding. And Peter was so confident in his relationship with the Lord, so self-assured that he would never deny the Lord, that he would be faithful to the end, that he stood, even in the face of Jesus saying, all of you, all of you are going to fall away. He said, no, no, no. Even if everybody else does, I never will. But Jesus reminded him of, of the fact that he could look forward and see exactly what Peter would do, even before the rooster crows three times. Or the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. The events were unfolding. The fulfillment of prophecy taking place throughout the story, validating everything that was happened, that Jesus truly was the Messiah. And, and that's the, the, the difficult part of the process that Jesus was bringing his disciples to understand. That everything they had, they had heard, the stories of the Old Testament, everything that they knew about how God was bringing about redemption for their people, for all mankind, through the Messiah that was coming. Jesus was that Messiah. All of the painful details of sacrifice and death, that is what Jesus lived to do. And while he was prepared for that sacrifice, he needed to help them understand their part in the story. And Jesus could see with perfect clarity how all of those events would take place, how all of those would, would be the fulfillment of prophecy and Scripture. And even in this part of the story. Jesus pointed back to the words of Zechariah, the prophet. That the shepherd would be struck down and the sheep would be scattered. Telling his disciples, you are those sheep who, who will run away. But Peter adamantly denied that that would happen. No, even if I have to die with you. And yet he was, would be the one. He would be the one that would more significantly than all the others, turn his back on the Lord, standing there outside of the trial, being asked specifically, do you know this man? No, no, I don't know. That he would be the one to deny his relationship with the Lord. And we see throughout the stories of the life of Jesus, throughout the pages of Scripture, the, the fulfillment of the identity of Jesus. It is his entrance into Jerusalem. He is honored as king. And his recognition of the, the sacrifice that was going to make, that he is our savior. And in the fulfillment of prophecy, he is the Messiah that God brought into the world. Even as he's headed toward his own death, those prophecies are being fulfilled. And we recognize the truth about Jesus' identity. And that truth confronts each and every one of us in a, in a different way. We can accept the, the, the truth in mentally, intellectually. Yes, that's true. But what, how does it affect us personally? That Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy as the Messiah. That he is the Son of God sent into the world to bring about the forgiveness of sins. That he came to become our Savior and redeem us from the consequences of our sins. Providing for us an opportunity to accept his love and grace. 
through our faith in him, that we would confess our sins, acknowledge him as Lord, and be baptized in his name, that his forgiveness is for us to accept that truth that he is our Savior. And not only that, but he is our king. And that's a decision that we have to make every day, multiple times a day. Not only that Jesus would be our Savior, but that we would honor him as king, that we would allow him to reign in our lives, that we would surrender to him and submit to him and allow his lordship to affect our decisions, to allow his presence in our lives, to determine the the way we would talk to people, the way we'll treat people, that we would filter our entire lives through the fact that he is reigning in us as our king, that he has the throne of our lives. And for each of us, as we recognize his identity, we have decisions to make personally about our relationship with him. Some of us were confronted with the idea that we are in need of forgiveness, that we are in need of Christ as Savior. For for many of us, painfully aware of the fact that we have been living for our own glory, that we have been dependent upon our, our own wealth, our own accomplishments, our own pride, and needing desperately to surrender those things to God and allow him to rule in us as our king. That's the relationship that we're confronted with in this truth of the identity of Jesus.